Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to Sunday Podcast. This is our chance to play for you some of the best moments from the radio show and some great interviews during the week that you may have missed. If you ever want to check out our show, go to Bongino.com. Go to Station Finder and see what radio station we're on near you. You'll love it. I promise you. We put a lot of work into the radio show. Check it out. But before that, let me tell you about our first sponsor. You ready to discover the incredible benefits of a good night's sleep? You know I'm a life hacks guy. Sleep matters. It's time to awaken your senses and embrace the importance of restful slumber. Dive into the world of sleep and introduce yourself to an amazing product that could revolutionize your nighttime routine. Beam Dream. It's a game changer. Their dream powder is a hot cocoa designed specifically for sleep. It could transform your nights. Gee, what did I just tell you about this stuff? Not part of the end at all. This stuff's amazing. Sleepy time after you drink this stuff. They have flavors like cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter. It's a treat to sip on before bedtime. It tastes amazing, and you're going out. The secret lies in Dream's powerful all-natural brand of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, and apigenin. These ingredients work synergistically and help you fall asleep faster. It's that simple. Stay asleep longer and help you wake up feeling refreshed. No next day grogginess. Here's the best part for our listeners. Beam's offering an exclusive discount on their dream powder. Just try it. Thank me later. For a limited time, you can get up to 40% off when you visit shopbeam.com slash Bongino. Use code Bongino at checkout. Take control of your sleep and experience the wonders of Beam Dream. Shopbeam.com slash Bongino. Use code Bongino for up to 40% off. Your body and mind deserve the gift of restful night's sleep. First up today, we talk with President Donald J. Trump. I asked him about pardons for the people in the D.C. Gulag vaccine. And President Trump lays out the record that could win them the election in 2024. You're not going to want to miss this interview. Check it out. Always happy to welcome back to the show President Donald J. Trump. Always an honor to have him. Mr. President, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dan, very much. Thank you. Yeah, Mr. President, uh, first question for you today. The um, 14th Amendment, it is uh, this ridiculous uh, theory out there that they can somehow keep you off the ballot for participating in an insurrection, which is fascinating because if you're an insurrectionist, you're a pretty crappy one telling them to go march peacefully and patriotically. You really shouldn't say that if you want to do an insurrection, just a yeah. pro tip for you. So you're not really good at this insurrection thing. So they want to keep yeah. you off the ballot with the 14th Amendment. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, these are very dishonest people. It's a group, group named Crew. They've been fighting me for eight years. They're losers. A group of losers. You can check them out individually every one of them all they do is lose that's all they know how to do and they've been after me eight years and i've been beating them for eight years but they don't stop i mean the one thing i give them credit they don't stop and i'm leading biden by a lot i'm leading to sanctimonious by like 50 points maybe more they i see even cnn is saying today that we're leading biden by a lot and we're we're killing to sanctimonious you know he wouldn't have gotten he wouldn't be governor if it wasn't for me and then he says well i'd like to run and i'd like to run and I said, oh, he wants to run. Let's see how he does. And he hasn't done well. He's a failed candidate. But, you know, uh, they don't want me to run. And the, the, they like to say, oh, we really want to run against Trump. But actually, it's just the opposite. You know, Dan, better than anybody, I think, because I listen to you. You know better than anyone. They are a party of disinformation. So they say, we yeah. want to run against Trump. Well, if they want to run against me, they wouldn't be doing uh, four indictments plus local indictments plus AGs and district attorneys and individual cases, uh, harassment cases. It's probably about eight different lawsuits, and they are very dishonest, and this is their way of cheating in the election. Like, they cheated last time beyond anything anyone's ever seen. We did phenomenal. I did much better the second time than I did the first, like by millions and millions of votes. But they cheated there. This is their, their new form. This is like a banana republic. And uh, what they're doing is un, it's called election interference. And all these lawsuits get in the way. Now, the 14th Amendment is just a continuation of that. It's nonsense. Nobody's even said um, it is insurrection. And by the way, there wasn't any guns in the Capitol. You know, the insurrection is, frankly, the people that insurrected on the election and rigged the election. Those are the insurrectionists. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Um Listen, I agree with you that we are living in a police state right now. I've said it many times. Um, I feel like you are obviously being treated different. That's a very hallmark of a police state based on your political beliefs. People don't have to like you, but you're still a citizen of the United States, but you're not being treated as such. But, Mr. President, you're not the only one. 
Um, Enrique Terrio and the Proud Boys and other people who were involved in January 6th, uh, listen, I don't know them personally, never met them. Um, I'm not really familiar with the details, the intricate details of the case, but I know this. Uh, one of them was sentenced to 22 years in jail, one to 17 years in jail, and one for 18 years in jail uh, for what appears to be far less than what BLM, Antifa, and others did, including one individual who set fire to a pawn shop during a BLM rally and actually killed a father of five who was sleeping inside who got Mr. President a 10-year sentence, 12 years less than Enrique Terrio. The justice system is lost. Do you anticipate if you win the next election to use the pardon power to correct this overreach of injustice? So, as you know, I'm a fair person and I just want fairness. I saw that over the last few days. And like you, I never met any of them. I don't know them. I don't know what they represent. But I do know that they don't like seeing crime and they don't like seeing uh, people slugged behind the back and shot through the head. But I don't know what they represent. But I'll tell you what, I looked at this and there was nobody killed other than uh, Ashley Babbitt. Okay, Ashley Babbitt should be we have to we're going to be looking at that whole situation because that was horrible. But they went in. There were no guns. There were no anything. Twenty two years. I saw yesterday. Twenty two years. Another one got 18 years. Another one got 17 years. And yet when they burned down Portland and they killed people. They got practically nothing by comparison. In fact, in many cases, they got nothing. When they went into Minnesota, when they went into Minneapolis, and they burned down the entire city and took over the police force and took over the whole building and then set that on fire, they got almost nothing. So we have two sets of justice. I think whoever these people are, I looked at this, I was watching this, and I couldn't believe it. And let me tell you, it's every time I do, whether it's an interview or I talk to somebody, this, just like you're doing, this is the first subject they bring in. They think it's really horrible and really unfair. Yeah. Oh, well, it is unfair. I mean, it's right. It's slapping everyone in the face right now. Mr. President, if you win the next election, uh, I, I know you didn't hesitate in the past to get rid of Comey and some others, but there's other people who say, well, there were some bad personnel choices too. a fair enough criticism. They say, well, is, is Donald Trump is the next president? Is he going to come in and get done what needs to be done? Get rid of the upper levels of the DOJ. Get rid of the upper levels of the FBI. People who have not sworn an oath to the Constitution. Uh, personnel or policy, Mr. President, if we don't get rid of these personnel, nothing's going to change. You're right. So when I came to Washington, I was in Washington 17 times, in D.C. 17 times my entire life, according to the press. I don't know. That's what they say. But it wasn't very much more than that. Never stayed over. I wasn't a member of the Washington Society. I would, I, it wasn't my thing. I wasn't a Bushy, that's for sure. I don't want to be. And I came in, and all of a sudden, I'm president of the United States. And I had to rely on people to give me great recommendations. And in many cases, I did. I mean, we had Cudlow. We had, we had so many great people. But we don't talk about them. We also had bad people. Now, remember, I came in, and Comey had a long-term job. He was put there before me. And I got rid of him very early, within a few months, which was, you know, frankly, not the easiest thing to do. And that was like a hornet's nest. That was like that exploded everything because that that blew up their schemes. It was a terrible thing that they were doing. Uh, if you look at the IG report, Horowitz, who's done some incredible work, by the way, and he's a Democrat, I guess, but he did some incredible work. You look at that report. But I fired Comey. I fired a lot of other people. I fired a lot of people in uh, intelligence, so-called intelligence, I quote it. And we got rid of a lot, but there's a lot to get rid of. And then, But we got hit with the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. So I had a fight on that. We got hit with all of the different things. And at the end, we were doing a lot of work on that, on the deep state. And we got hit with COVID, a gift from China. And we got hit with the China virus. And we had a lot of different things. But we... Getting rid of Comey was a very big thing. That took out a lot of people. You know, when you looked at what happened, that was the famous uh, insurance. We have an insurance policy. The insurance policy was the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. It was the dossier. All of the fake stuff that we figured out. And this is going along. You know, there are, there's a lot of litigation going along. Uh, we had a lousy attorney general, Bill Barr. He was, he was gutless. He was a, a bushy, I call him. But he was worse than a bushy. He was afraid of being impeached. He was petrified of being impeached, and Jeff Sessions was terrible. So these were two bad choices that were highly recommended to me, and uh, the people that recommended to me, I don't talk to them too much anymore. You know, every time I, I look at them, I don't, I don't exactly smile. 
But now I know everybody. I know Washington, Dan, better than you do. I know Washington better than any. I know the good ones and the bad ones, and I know the weak ones and the stupid ones. I know the smart ones, and I think I know the loyal ones. You know, loyalty is interesting because a lot of times you think somebody's loyal, and under pressure they break down and they're not. But I think I know the loyal ones. We have a lot of great loyal ones, but I think I do. Oh. And uh, we go in, we would go in so strong, and I, I just know. You know, when I had to go there, I had to rely on people to give me advice. Mike Pence gave me some and other people gave me some. And in some cases, I was very happy. And in some cases, I was not happy even a little bit. But uh, you're going to see things that nobody's ever seen before. We're going to do it 100 percent right because it's all about people. And I know the people. By the way, we had incredible people. You know, we think of it. We rebuilt the military. We got rid of ISIS, 100 percent of the ISIS caliphate. We did Space Force. The largest tax cuts in history, the largest regulation cuts in history. We built the greatest economy in the history of our country. You know, we built the greatest economy in the history of our country. And by the way, this economy that we have now, it's running on our fumes. If we didn't have the economy that we have, this economy would be crashing, uh, probably Depressionville, because they are grossly incompetent. Yesterday, as an example, Energy caused inflation, energy prices, what he did on energy. And as an example, yesterday, he just ended all of the oil leases in Alaska. Right, that, right. That, that your administration permitted. how stupid they are. It's a death wish. Yeah. They have a death wish. Yeah. And then, and then they want batteries from China to, to fund their electric car revolution. That isn't going to happen. But, Mr. President, I'll get to China saying, I want to ask you, this is a very important, my audience, I put it out to them earlier on the Rumble Channel questions. And the one question that came up most of all is, People are scared about the vaccine. There's been a lot of reports of myocarditis, side effects. They, they, a lot of people are very unhappy with the vaccine. They're terrified of new mandates. They have a really uh, a pit in their stomach, a really bad feeling that if Biden's reelected, we're going to see mask mandates and vaccine mandates again. Uh, if you're you reelected president of the United States, is, can we just be assured that that's not going to happen again? 100 percent. And I didn't do it the first time. You got to understand, we had, uh, I let the Republican and Democrat governors run their states. That's called the federalist system, by the way. But I let them run their states. And some of them, like McMaster in South Carolina, uh, like you go up to uh, South Dakota and you see the great job that, I'll tell you, you have a governor in South Carolina, Nikki, she did some, she did some job, she did some job, and others, they ran their states and they didn't close them. Now, Ron DeSanctimonious closed Florida. 100%. 100%. The roads were closed. The beaches were closed. The whole place was closed. And he went for vaccines and enforced vaccines. And, you know, it's amazing what he does. Now, he's down so low now. I think he's going to end up in fourth or fifth place. He could have probably been the leader going into 28. I don't think he has a chance at 28 anymore when you look at how he's done because he's crashed like a rock. But uh, if you take a look at what they did in Florida. And he closed the place up, and now he's trying to say he didn't. And by the way, he was a huge Fauci fan. He'd go around saying, whatever Dr. Fauci wants, that's what I want. And I could give you 10 different articles. Go back to that time. He was a big Fauci guy. I wasn't. Fauci became big in the Bush administration. In the, uh, uh, in, it's almost the same thing. In the Biden administration, he became big. He was big with Obama. He was very big with, you know, he's been there for 45 years. He's been through all of them. He's been for Bush. He's been for everybody. But I didn't, he told me to keep it open, let the, let China come in. I said, bad things are happening in China. And what happened is I closed it to China, saved hundreds of thousands of lives. But I let the Republican governors and the Democrat governors do what they wanted. If they wanted to close it, they could. I didn't agree with it. But if they didn't want to close, if they wanted, and some of the, some of the governors absolutely did a fantastic job. They kept it, you know, they kept it open. That turned out to be the best thing. Now, Ron DeSantis did not keep it open. He closed his beaches. He closed his, he's closed everything. It was locked down. And now I watch him campaigning, and I, I hate to dwell on this, but I watch him campaigning, and he acts like he was one of the guys that really kept it open. So, uh, you know, well, look. I mean, I mean, listen, uh, Mr. President, I live down here, too. I, I, I get it, and I suppose, but they handled some of these states. It was really fantastic. Yeah, Christine, I think they. I mean, we came around. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We came around pretty, you know, pretty quick though in in Florida, and and I, and I think I, you know, I've in, I've already endorsed you and I support you, but Florida came around pretty quick. I think there was a lot of mistakes made early uh, in this. A lot. 
Um, and, you know, and I think looking back, it's, you know, it, it, it's hard to look at it through today's eyes because now we know things like masks don't work. The vaccines don't prevent the, you know, the spread of COVID early on. People thought everything was going to be a magic pill, you know. But so, remember this but, about Florida and I'm there. Florida had the third most deaths of any other state. It was number three. And that's a horrible scorecard. And that's the scorecard that you have to go by. But Florida was number three on deaths from COVID. So you have to remember, I just don't like it when somebody campaigns falsely and they falsely campaign. Uh, again, you go to South Dakota, you go to you go to South Carolina, you go to some of these states. They did a fantastic job. They did a really fantastic job. And the governors were allowed to do now the Democrat governors did a whole in almost every case. I think in every case, not only in crime, but on covid, they closed their states up and they really hurt the people of that of those states. Mr. President, I only have about a minute left, but I really want to get in one final question. I'm very worried about China. You were very prescient on China. You called the China threat out very early in your first campaign in 2016 when you were running. Uh, I have a minute left, like a hard minute. What would you do if you get reelected on the China situation? China used to respect us tremendously. They respected me as the president. They don't respect us anymore. We have a Manchurian candidate. They paid him a lot of money. They know all the money they paid him. He's afraid to do anything. We have a Manchurian candidate in there. China's totally controlling them. We had absolute, a good relationship with China until COVID came. Then I had it. But I had a great relationship with President Xi. And we used tariffs. I took in hundreds of billions of dollars of money from tariffs. And they were very good as far as I was concerned because they were pulling way back. They didn't want to be charged tariffs. We have a president that doesn't want to. they, They lecture our president. They spend all this time lecturing our president and i've yeah, never seen amazing. anything i've never seen anything we i know have no respect they have no respect for our country or our president anymore mr president i i gotta run but i just well, quickly i just want to thank you uh you know um when i was in the hospital with the the cancer i was having a rough time and uh i yep. just want everyone to know when you talk about loyalty you mean it i got one phone call that day uh, and that was from you. So uh, I just want you to know well, how I much I appreciate terrific. that. I think well, you're I, terrific. You know, I think the yeah. same. You're a good man. I just want you to know when the, the audience, you know, when you talk about loyalty, you know, you mean it. That's not a, that's not a shtick. Uh, but I do got to run. I'm, I'm way over. <laughs> Mr. President, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome back anytime. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. So long, Dan. You Thank you very much. Up next, a very emotional, special remembrance you're not going to want to miss. Uh, let me just get to our next sponsor. We appreciate your patience. So did you hear about it? Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreeing to use local currencies in trade instead of the U.S. dollar? It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. I buy my gold from Birch Gold Group, and you can too. Text Dan to 989898 for your free information kit on gold with thousands of happy customers and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Text DAN to 989898 to claim your free info kit now. Performance may vary. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Message and data rates apply. We said never forget when it came to 9-11. I talk about where we are on the anniversary over 20 years later. Ah, tough day, folks. It's a tough day for all of us. You know, usually on Mondays uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been giving you my uh, weekend updates, but we'll do that tomorrow. It's not, it's not the time for that today. It's just, uh, it's just not... So like many of you, I woke up this morning, you know, 20 plus years later after the dreadful September 11th attacks. And probably like many of you, you always feel like next year it'll get easier, right? You just feel like, ah, you've heard all the cliches and they're kind of silly, like, oh, time heals all wounds. Ah, Actually, it doesn't. Actually, some wounds, time doesn't do anything. I mean, there's stuff that happened to me when I was a kid that still hurts today when I think about it now as much as it did when it happened, sometimes more. So I'm, I'm not sure it heals much of anything. 
But I don't know. Every year I think to myself, well, I've now seen this footage 20 plus times or 20 years in a row. I've probably seen it thousands of times because you've seen it over and over. But for 20 years in a row, I've been watching it. it maybe it won't be as impactful next year. But that, that, that happens every, every year. That, that never happens every year. It, um, every year it almost gets, almost gets worse. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm... You can tell I'm rarely at a loss for words being a talk radio guy, but describing my emotional state has never been a... I'm good at describing politics and everything like that, but uh, me and emotions don't really work well. My Aunt Jane, who passed, she was my godmother. I loved her to death. She used to say, Daniel, you're like emotionally constipated. She used to say that all the time. I'm not really good at the whole emotions thing. But um, 9-11 just deeply impacted me for a number of reasons. Some of you may have known people, probably impacted you more. I, I knew... Um, I knew... Uh, it's just so difficult because Paul and I had met a week earlier. We had met a week, a week, one week before on a blind date. She's now my wife for 20 plus years. Well, my wife for 20 years, but we've been together 20 plus. And um, so every year when I, when I, when I, we have to all go through a horror of 9-11 again together and we should never let that go. It just reminds me of so much how my, my entire life changed in the first couple weeks of September of 2001. I was a relatively new federal agent. I'd only been on the job outside of training for about a year. So I was new at this whole federal agent GS 18, 11 thing. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my office like many of you that day. And we were getting ready to serve a search warrant for this guy who was selling diamonds on this new website called eBay. You may have heard of it. Well, it was new back then, and eBay fraud was a very real thing. People would say, hey, come to my house. We're selling a bunch of diamonds on eBay, and people would send them money. And what would be the catch? Well, there were no diamonds. It was only your money missing. So that was a really big thing. You remember that, Jim? Back in the day, website fraud was like, it was a 50-50 shot. You'd never get your stuff, you know? So this guy was selling these fake diamonds, and... He was, um, he was staying in this hotel on Long Island. I was in the Long Island, New York office, about 40 miles out of the city on that morning. And this agent friend of mine, Joe, he was doing this search warrant. And the guy we were serving the search warrant against, I'll never forget, we were in the office early that morning, about 7 o'clock. He happened to be, be deaf. He couldn't hear. So it doesn't mean he doesn't have constitutional rights. So I remember we were debating what to do about the knock and announce. I mean, it may, it's not meant to be. It's true. We didn't. You know, how do we knock if he has a hearing problem and he couldn't hear us? So we we were unsure about how to handle it because you still can't just kick down the door because the guy. You know, that's police state stuff. They they probably do that now, but I mean, back then when we still actually cared about the Constitution and everything. And I remember just like as we were going through this debate, an hour or so later. Uh, whatever, uh, you know, a couple hours after we were sitting there in the office and this other agent, Tommy, let's call him Tommy Hooks because he knew everyone. Tommy, it was like, you know, a New York thing. Everybody's got a nickname, you know, Joey two times, Tommy Hooks. Hooks knew everybody. So Tommy Hooks came in. We always remember Tommy Hooks because he was good at every video game. It was a way he wasn't even a video game guy. He just go in and play a video game, like master it. And he comes running in and he says, they just bombed the World Trade Center. I said, wait, what? And we're all looking at him like, are you crazy? But the thing about Hooks is he was a funny guy, but you could tell when he wasn't joking around. So I remember looking up with Joe and I'm looking at him. I'm like, he's not kidding. So it was a small office. The Long Island office of the Secret Service wasn't very big. It was probably no more than 10,000 square feet, maybe less. It was time. I mean, that's considering the safe and the lobby and everything too. So we go sprinting down the hallway into my boss's office, this guy, Marty, and he had one of those antenna TVs. And we turned on and the view was on. And the dispatcher in the New York office that day was a guy by the name of Maurice. And Maurice was the one who told Tommy that a bomb went off and there were papers coming down between the buildings because the Secret Service office in New York was in Seven World Trade Center. We had the ninth and 10th floor. And Maurice saw papers coming down on fire. 
So we put on the TV and we're watching and the view's on and we're thinking to ourselves, what the hell? No way a bomb went off. Why would the view be on? And then all of a sudden, boom, breaking news. And we're like, oh, snap, like something happened. So the breaking news is there's a big hole in one of the World Trade Center buildings and they don't know what happened, the bomb or anything like that. And then I hear someone on the news say a plane crashed into it. And I remember my boss, Marty, my boss, Marty, who is a great guy, former NYPD cop himself, tough guy, tough Irishman, man, Marty Walsh, good man. God bless him, man. Love that guy. And I remember Marty saying, you think it's an accident? And we had this agent, other agent, there were like 10 of us in the office, this guy, Paul. And Paul was a navigator with the Navy, you know, like Goose from Top Gun. That's what he did. So he'd been up in a lot of planes for a lot of time. And he was a very smart guy. And Paul looked at us and said, that ain't no accident, man. There ain't a cloud in that sky. He said, they hit that thing on purpose. And it really took me a second. I mean, folks, if you were there and alive at the time, you remember, but you got to remember, there's some, we got we got for a radio show, we got a pretty young demo here. There are some... 16 to 20 year olds that are listening who were not alive. Who, who, I don't think they can process what the human brain went through that day. Wait, what? They crashed a plane on purpose into a bit like, no, this is the, the United States. This doesn't happen here. What is this? North Korea? Like, because that's just crazy. And of course we saw the second, uh, second plane come in and then beyond any reasonable doubt, we knew the country was going to be plunged into war. And it was just a tough thing, folks, for everyone at the time to see because you all you could think about, if you were alive that day and there, and I bet I speak for all of you, all you could think about is what's going on with those people in that building. They're jumping, they're burning, and you're just... It, it was really hard to process. It was really hard to process. The whole thing was just hard to process. It was so... So beyond the comprehension of the human neuron to understand how much pain was going on at that time. And uh, my brother worked for the fire department at the time. He was an emergency medical technician. And uh, we couldn't find him. So my dad, who's a really tough guy, he's like a hard guy. I don't mean a hard guy in a bad way. I just mean he's not really an emotional guy. It's kind of where I get that from, I think. I never saw my dad cry. My dad didn't cry about stuff. He's not a crier. He just isn't. And my father called me in tears, like not just crying, like sobbing. He thought my brother was dead because we couldn't get him on the phone. If you were in New York at the time and you tried to get a phone call out, you remember that, Jim? You couldn't get anyone. You couldn't get the phone line. Everything was a mess. You would never, the phone calls just weren't going through. So they thought he was dead. And I had just met Paula a week earlier and I'm calling Paula, and she's not answering either. And why would that matter? Well, it mattered because Paula worked in the building right next door. She worked for the Securities Industry Association at 120 Broadway, which is literally right next door. Her office looked right down into what is now the pit, ground zero. And uh, I thought she was dead. And I'm, I'm trying to keep in mind, I'm trying to process all of this because I'm expected to act like a federal agent and do my job. While my brother's missing, my dad's crying, and my girlfriend I've known for a week wasn't even my girlfriend yet. We just went on, we went on two dates, but I was really head over heels for it. Was what well, I thought was dead too, and I'm like, this can't be happening. And then we get a call because the UN was going on, the United Nations at the time. Every Secret Service agent at the in the country practically was in New York to protect foreign dignitaries at the UN. So we're getting calls. This guy's dead. Chris is dead. Jason's dead. John is dead. Everybody thought everyone was dead. Then there's a call. The White House is under attack. The State Department's under attack. The Pentagon's under attack. No one knew what was real and what wasn't anymore. Guys are calling us from New York. We got to evacuate the building. It was just, I mean, to say it was emotional overload and chaos is just, does no justice to those words. So to get close to where 
you know, unfortunately, all this was going on. We all drove to JFK Airport where the Secret Service had an office and we set up kind of an emergency command center over there. And we started contacting these uh, these agents. And luckily, a lot of them were we only had two way pagers back then. They didn't have cell phones. Well, their cell phones existed, but we the agents didn't have them. They had two way pagers. So they would call in or or do a two way page. And we wound up reaching most of them. Uh, one of them, it were, by the end of the night, we were sitting there. There were two left on the list. And one of them was a guy, I knew this guy, Kevin. And we thought he was dead. And, you know, we were thinking, thinking about who was going to contact his family. And it turned out, you know, Kevin, Kevin was in, uh, was in Nigeria and had just heard about it. He was on a mission, on a secret service we, that we had just missed. I mean, there's a lot going on. And then uh, the last uh, special officer didn't make it. It was uh, was a tough day, man. You know, a lot of ESU emergency services guys from the New York City Police Department, their SWAT team, a lot of those guys died. And I worked in the 7-5 precinct and they had a truck there, truck seven. And I think all the time in that parking lot, how many guys I walked by that didn't make it. We used to share the same parking lot. I want to end this segment with this. These are some voicemails from uh, flight 93 on nine 11. They're hard to hear, but you need to hear them. Take a listen. Honey, are you there? those voicemails and uh, I was reading the Facebook messages and uh, a lot of you were deeply touched by that. Some of you were crying and uh, so was I. That's why I wanted to play him at the end because I knew I wouldn't be able to do the segment without it. I was done on purpose. But that these people knowing they were going to die on this plane, they knew 93 was going to go down. They knew it. They knew it was going down that people thought to call and tell their loved ones the safe code so that they could get in the safe and live their lives without them and get bank records and stuff is just, gosh, it's just hard to, it's almost surreal even now, 20 plus years ago, I'm still in shock on the radio today that all that happened like it did. And um, a, lot of, a lot of people ask a lot of questions on the Facebook during the break. Someone said, I heard the umpire at the game when Bush threw out the pitch. The umpire was a Secret Service agent. Is that true? And the answer is yes. His name was Ray. I actually worked with him. We were instructors together in the training academy. He taught counter-surveillance and I taught investigations. That was true. So a lot of things happened after 9-11. But folks, I want to say in conclusion uh, for this, because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. That there's no emergency severe enough to forfeit your civil liberties. 
9-11 was probably one of the worst, if not the worst days in American history. I was there uh, and lived it like a lot of you. I was alive that day. But it was horrible for a number of reasons. A lot of things happened in the aftermath, too. I really did our country no justice. Up next, another great guest talking about a project we've been working on, but let's get to our next sponsor first. Folks, today's show brought to you by Bone Charge. In these crazy days, we got to recharge and refresh in a natural way. To that end, I discovered Bone Charge, a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize life in every way. One of my favorite products from Bone Charge is the infrared sauna blanket. It's amazing how it helps me ease stress and unwind after a crazy day. The sauna blanket helps me break a sweat. It helps remove some of this garbage from your body. It sets up in less than a minute. Folks, it heats fast. I relax. I just, I'd say chill out, but it's a sauna. And you feel that heat, that comforting, warm heat. Thing is, I have really bad arthritis. I know I complain about it all the time in the show. Probably shouldn't. But there's nothing like a good sauna sweat to just, just ease that pain away for me. It sets up, like I said, in less than a minute. I go for about a 30-minute session. I kid you not, the sauna blanket from Bone Charge, absolute game, cha- game changer. I get a lot of feedback on it. It's great. Give it a shot. Bone Charge ships worldwide. The sauna blanket ships free with no hidden costs. Plus, Bone Charge offers a 30-day free trial with easy returns or exchanges and a 12-month warranty. Relax, revitalize, and refresh with Bone Charge and the sauna blanket. Right now, go to BoneCharge.com slash Bongino. Use coupon code Bongino to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, BoneCharge.com slash Bongino. Use coupon code Bongino to save 15%. It's really good stuff. Check it out. Here's my friend Dinesh D'Souza to talk about a new movie we're working on together called Police State. You're going to love it. Check it out. Go look at the trailer. You need to pay really close attention to this. We're in a bad spot. FBI warrant, come to the door now. The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is gonna be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Wow. That's just a portion of the trailer for a project I've been working on with the great Dinesh D'Souza. It is a movie. It's called Police State. It's going to be in theaters in, uh, October 23rd. Folks, if you want to check it out, policestatefilm.net for the trailer. Uh, and here, join us to talk about it, uh, my good friend Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh, thanks for taking some time. I know you were busy today. I appreciate it. Hey Dan, it's great to be great to be on, and uh, really excited about this film. I mean, this is a this is a topic of such uh, importance, I think, to you as well as to me. Uh, we're seeing the America that we that I came to as a teenager, and the America that you grew up in, in a sense, being destroyed before our eyes and on our watch. So we have to do something, and uh, this is a way to try to blow the lid off of this emerging police state that is that we were familiar with around the rest of the world. But here it is coming to America now. Dinesh, we're talking to Dinesh D'Souza. You know, this was the easiest kind of deal uh, I think you probably ever done. Dinesh came to me, I don't know, maybe a year ago or so and said, hey, Dan, I'm really thinking about doing this film on the police state. This is this metastasizing cancer. We can't have this. We got to do something, not just talk about it. And I was like, yeah, it's done. Like, send me the details later. Like, I'm 100% in because I'm so concerned with this. I saw the movie, Dinesh. I, you, you read my email when I said you asked me for my feedback. Uh, my wife was crying at the end of the movie. I mean, cr- like, actually crying, not figuratively crying. Because the movie's such a damning indictment of where we are right now with the police state. I just saw the trailer, however, for the first time on the air. And I put it on. It's already going nuclear on Twitter and True Social. Already. People are really going to be moved by this project. You did an amazing job. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad it's, you know, film number seven, because I feel like over the years I've improved my skills in making these films. And what's great about this one is it combines 
uh, an intellectually rich narrative, but I've got all, all kinds of insider and first-person accounts of the police state by people who have direct experience with it. And then we combine this with these stunning recreations, which are emotionally just riveting. So it's a heck of a movie. I don't think it's like anything else I've done before. Uh, we're releasing it originally, kind of previewing it in hundreds of theaters. And you can buy tickets now. Today is the first day. And we know with 2,000 meals, what happened is that the tickets sold out. And then people are like, I want to go to the theater and see it because I want to see it with my group. I want to see it with my friends. Well, now's the time to do it. And you mentioned the website. It's just policestatefilm.net. Not .com, but .net. Policestatefilm.net. And it's a chance for people to sign up early and make some plans to go see this film in the theater with full effects. October 23rd and October 25th, just those two days. Dinesh, the portion of the film where you talk to the Hispanic gentleman who was a victim of the police state, uh, I got to tell you, it's so it's so moving that it, it's it's hard to watch and wake up the same day, the same person. Like, you, you know, you're not, I guess what I'm saying is you're not the same person after the film. That once you see that, it's like the wizard. You've seen the wizard. You know it's all a show. Like, it's all crap. That that scene, and in the scene, of the, I don't want to give away too much. I want people to see it for themselves. But the aunt of the young man who sadly killed himself after being, you know, pushed by the police state. They're, they're so deeply troubling to see. But don't you think that we have to see this? It's not the kind of thing we can look away from and pretend it's going to go away. Because that knock could come at your door. I mean, we could all be victims of this if we don't do something. This is right. This is no longer about uh, just Trump. It's no longer about just January 6th, because there are going to be some people even on our side who say, well, gee, I'm not Trump and I didn't go inside the Capitol, so I'm safe. They're not going to come after me. They're not going to go after my taxes. They're not going to try to lock me up. But we see that there is a, a, a coordinated enterprise. And, and, you know, in some ways, I don't even like the term deep state because deep state implies it is all hidden. Some of the enterprise is hidden. It involves the police agencies of the government, but it involves academia. It involves nonprofit institutions. Uh, think of all the different participants, for example, in digital censorship. It's a coordinated campaign, and all our civil liberties are under assault in a way that, frankly, I would have found unbelievable if you had told me about this even a decade ago. Yeah, we're talking to Dinesh D'Souza. We've been working on a project. It's a movie called Police State. You can pick up tickets now, policestatefilm.net. Just watch the trailer, folks. It, it, it sells itself. I don't need to even say anymore. But Dinesh, there was, you know, was someone who's followed this like me. I've written books about Spygate and the, uh, the attack on Donald Trump and following the money trail. There were stories in there, you know, I hadn't heard. Um, I mean, you really went out and, and these are these are interviews with real people who've been real victims. And I can guarantee you, no matter how much you follow January 6th, the attack on parents at school board meetings, the attacks on pro-lifers by the FBI and elsewhere. I can guarantee you there's pieces of this film that are going to shock you. There are stories there I hadn't heard. I'm just curious when we were kind of editing down the film and ultimately it was your project. I'm just a partner in it. How did you decide there were so many powerful stories how did you distill it down to just these these couple that you know that we that we put in there these stories and 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 edit it there was so much powerful stuff in there well, my principle, and this applies to the books I write and, and also to the films, is originality. You know, we want to bring this out in a fresh way, and we also want to bring all the threads together because people know some of the pieces of all this, but really it is the bringing it together that shows you that the prospect of a police state, I mean, think about it, the kind of stuff that we've talked about in, you know, occurring in North Korea or historically, for example, in the Soviet Union or in Castro's Cuba, um, we've always we've grown up with this distinction that we are the free world and they are the unfree world. And we're seeing this distinction uh, erode uh, before our very eyes. So I think that there is a window in which this police state can be stopped. 
uh, but that window doesn't stay open forever. So there is a sense of urgency in this movie. Um, but I think that the movie has an intellectual and emotional power that will blow the lid off of this issue. It will make it very difficult for the left to look at this and go, yeah, we think this is actually good. We think that this is the way to save democracy in, the, uh, in America. Nothing could be further from the truth. No, that's, I'm so glad you said that. Because, uh, you know, we were chatting on email and I, I said, to you, you know, this thing is this thing is bulletproof. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell us that the Hispanic guy in tears who was a victim of the police state uh, breaking into his mother's apartment. You're going to tell us it didn't happen. Like, the guy has evidence, his video. The guy's there crying like this stuff happened. These stories happen. You can't tell us, oh, it's all BS. These guys are making this stuff up. The movie is really troubling. And, and, and Dinesh, what a day to have you on when we find out today that in this, uh, Fannie Willis and uh, Fulton County, they were going to indict Kelly Loeffler, David Perdue, and Lindsey Graham. Listen, I'm no big fan of Lindsey Graham, but they were going to indict these guys for speaking out about an obviously messed up election. Like, this is like North Korea style stuff happening. Well, I mean, it shows you. I think that Fannie Willis would have indicted them, but I think she realized that prudentially it's prob- it probably wouldn't look good to take the two Republican senatorial candidates in Georgia and try to lock them up, right? That would put, in some ways, put her project way too much out in the open. And so she probably decided, gee, you know what, let's wait for a later date when we can do this to do our political opponents in a full-scale way. The, the point I'm trying to make here is that the police did at some point comes fully out into the open. I mean, in the end, Stalin didn't have to give reasons for why he was arresting all his opponents because he was fully in charge. The police state is not fully established. It's in the process of being built. The good thing about this movie is that it's thought through all this and it lays it all out, I think, in a way that there's nothing out there that even comes close. So I couldn't be more excited that we're bringing this out next month. I think it's going to cause a huge stir, and I'd love people to get out early, share the information, and sign up to go and see it in the theater, which is really the best way to see it. Folks, but the trailer for Police State, the film I'm working on with Dinesh D'Souza, where it's at, it's ready to go now. Uh, the trailer's on my Twitter and True Social account. You're going to see Kyle Serafin in there, Julie Kelly, Senator Rand Paul, Jim Jordan, uh, FBI whistleblowers. It is a stunning indictment of where we are right now. Uh, Dinesh, last question, and I'll, and I'll let you go. The, uh, the website, by the way, is policestatefilm.net. I promise you it's going to sell out quick. Uh, reserve your tickets today, policestatefilm.net. You know, I, I, I say in the film, and I'll leave it here with you, and I'll let you answer, that we could all be next. If they could do this to a sitting president, if they could threaten it against U.S. senators, if they could put lawyers behind bars, violate due process, violate the right to petition and assemble your government, then your God-given rights are gone. But we could all be victims. There's not going to be any sitting this out in the future. You just said it, that once the police state gets comfortable with not having to manage the PR anymore, at that point, it's over. The force is overwhelming, and you've, it's already entrenched. It's a magnet you're never going to be able to get away from. Yes, I think there's a line I say in the film that you know that the police state is here when the whole country, in effect, has been turned into a prison. So what the left is doing is right now they need one side, the Democrats, to help them to build the police state. And a lot of their actions in secrecy or sometimes in public are aimed at, at constructing the police state that at some point will be invincible, will be impossible to stop. And even the Democrats at that point won't be safe from it because in the end, uh, the FBI doesn't care, you know, whether or not somebody's on the Democratic side or, or they're on the Republican side. Anyone who is an enemy of the state will be targeted. So it's a very scary thing that we're witnessing. We're witnessing it in pieces. And we, we tend to think, okay, you know what? I'm going to be like the wildebeest in the herd. I'm going to move away. It's not going to be me that's going to be eaten. Well, yes, in the end, it's going to be you. Dinesh, I mean, I've seen all your films, read all your books, talking to Dinesh D'Souza, but uh, I'd venture to say this, you know, I, I, and people say it all, but I, I mean this, I've seen them all. This may be your most important project because this is one of those projects where if we can get some traction with this, 
I think this will definitely motivate people to action, to run for office, to volunteer their time, uh, to fight back legally, and to say, you know, no more. We're not crossing that Rubicon. Not going to happen. Not on my watch. I've got a country to give my kids to. Dinesh, thanks so much. The website, folks, is policestatefilm.net. I hope it's a huge success. Thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Dan, always a pleasure. You got it. Folks, just watch the trailer. That's all I ask. It'll take a minute and a half of your time. I promise. If it doesn't move you, then this this show has been a total waste of my time. But just watch the trailer. Policestayfilm.net. Check it out on Truth on my account there or on Twitter. And uh, just watch for yourself. That's Police State coming in October. Another rant next. A good one. But first, our next sponsor. Feel the Greens. I take this stuff twice a day. Swear by it. Uh, folks, Feel the Greens is healthy and wholesome. It's got this. Uh, it's got this blend of fruits and vegetables on the back. I love it. And you know, the key to good health is good nutrition. Unlike the others, each fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by their own doctor to help support your nutrition, which could help your vital organs like heart, lungs, kidneys, and immune system. Flu season's here. I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Again, I take it twice a day. I want you to look at the list of incredibly healthy vegetables on the back and fruits. It tastes delicious. That's the wild berry. Field of Greens works fast. I think you'll feel better with more energy. You'll probably notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. If you don't know, if you don't always eat right and exercise, like a lot of people, you don't have time, you're stressed out. I get it. Join me. Take Field of Greens. I take it twice a day. Let me get you started today with 15% off your first order. Try it out. I swear by it. I'm going to be 49. I've, I've been through a lot. I actually don't feel too bad right now in my life. I should feel a lot worse. It's probably because of Field of Greens. Visit BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. That's promo code Dan at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Check it out. Hey, that lunatic John Edwards, the Democrat, he was right about one thing. There are two Americas. I'll explain why. But folks, there are two Americas right now, and I really hope you're living in the right one. Because let me tell you something. By no objective measure, using reason, is anyone going to be happier right now living in one of these liberal hellholes and living in conservative red America? No objective measure. Again, I'm, I'm talking about using reason. Now, there are reasons to be live in, uh, in blue America. Some people have jobs they can't leave from, family close by. I'm down here in Florida. I run into people all the time. They come up to me in the restaurants I go into. Hey, visiting for the weekend. Florida's a big tourism state. Oh, where are you from? Uh, New York. Well, how come you still live up there? They'll have like a Trump shirt on or something like that. Well, my kids are nearby. I totally understand. It's not my position to tell people when and where to move. But I want you to just be clear, like you're living in a different America than we live in down here. I live in what I guess you'd call relatively small town America. I say relatively because I live near uh, Stewart, Florida, in an enclave there in Stewart, Florida. And, and Stewart's a great place to live. It's always like a top 10 place to live, which the locals hate because everybody keeps moving down here when I don't blame them. Um, but it, it's, it's kind of a mid, small to mid-sized town. And we just don't have the stuff you live with in big city America. I know that because I live there. I lived in New York most of my adult life and then moved to Blue, Maryland, not far outside of Baltimore City. I'm intimately familiar with the problems of areas run by liberals. And we just don't have that stuff down here. We have relatively clean elections. DeSantis won by 20 points. We say if the liberals cheated, they did a terrible job at it. Won by 19 points in Florida. You know, I never seen anything like it. DeSantis won by 19 points. I can't even tell you in Florida how big of a deal that is. You win in Florida by one point. It's considered a landslide. The voting system, even by mail down here, is you know is always going to be cheating, but it's relatively clean. They've been doing it a long time. You get to track your ballot. The online system is super efficient. You've got to provide some form of identification, a driver's license number, so it's really hard for them to cheat. They can't just randomly grab. It's not impossible, but it's hard. The sheriffs down here in Florida, 90 plus percent of them are constitutional sheriffs who aren't going to screw around with any kind of crime. They'll, they'll, they, you know, they, a lot of them are really good on respecting civil liberties too, which is important. That's a thing for us too. We support the police. We also support the Constitution. The schools are picking up. Not the best in the country, but they're picking up. We don't have these problems. So when John Edwards gave that speech running for president over a, you know, a decade plus ago, 
talking about two Americas and using some liberal perspective to highlight that point. He was right. It's just the liberal perspective that was wrong. The two Americas were created by liberalism. Folks, I can prove it to you. You know, I, I always bring the receipts. Here's a woman who made the mistake of traveling to San Francisco before moving to Bali. So she had everything with her, all her stuff. I feel bad for these people. Uh, you know, I know sometimes it's not PC on the right, but I grew up in a lot of these cities and, you know, a good chunk of people there are not liberal crazies. They're just normal people who are trying to live their lives who are stuck there for jobs or other reasons. I don't know this woman's politics. I don't really care. But I want you to listen to what happened to this woman. She'd been out kind of partying with her friends. So she's getting ready to move to Bali. She throws all her stuff in the back of a rental Jeep. She's headed to the airport with all her gear. She decides she's going to stop at the airport to get a burger and fries. Ultimate recovery food right there. Need that salt, right? She's in there five minutes. This is in San Francisco. This is the San Francisco they live in. That doesn't exist in the world I live in down here. Take a listen. Legitimately, everything that I own was just stolen, and I'm sitting here at the airport, and all I have with me is what I have on, and this hat, and that like tiny purse with actually nothing in it. My computer, my iPad, my AirPods, my Bose over-the-ear headphones, all of my clothes, my prescriptions, my retainer, my passport, my passport. Legitimately, everything I own was taken. So I got here to San Francisco two days ago. I got a rental car, had a long layover before I'm moving on. I was moving to Bali. I had all my stuff, everything to move there with me. Got a rental car, I was driving around, parked. Um, this morning at In-N-Out, I was kind of hungover, went out with my friends last night, parked to get a burger and fries, and went in. I was in there for four minutes just getting takeout, like grabbing something and going. I'm up at the counter, literally ordering, and someone goes, who has the Jeep outside? I'm like, I do, and they're like, someone's stealing all your stuff. I run out there, and this is what I see. Four masked guys with ski masks on grabbed all of my stuff out of the car, smashed the windows, obliterated this rental car that I had, and took all of my stuff. And now because I don't have my passport, I obviously can't leave the country and fly to Bali. And I'm like, what the heck? Folks, I, I, again, I have to ask you, is it bad enough yet? A lot of you are probably listening to the show across the country, including KSFO, one of our San Francisco stations. We love having on board. And I know you're not the issue. If you're listening to the show, you're probably saying, hey, we didn't vote for this. And you're right. You didn't. But you got to be wondering out in San Francisco, Chicago, and New York, when are your fellow citizens who did vote for this going to change their voting behavior and vote for something not this, like, i.e., something different? Folks, we're not even close to there yet. No, surely it's getting bad enough. Did you see that video from uh, Philadelphia? I mean, obviously playing it on the show, it's only video. It's useless. It's an audio radio program. There's a video out of Philadelphia. They call it the zombie video. A woman just walked around the street filming. You saw it, Jim? People walking around the street. I mean, they look like actual zombies. They look like they're the dead men walking Cesar Romero style. Cesar Romero, was that the Joker? Or was that the... I always screw this quote. Was that... That was a Joker? Was that the... Who was the guy who did the uh, Walking Dead movie? The original one. You got to look that up for me because that will drive me crazy. You know I always screw up pop culture reference. That's my thing. It's like a shtick on the show. Except it's real. I really screw it up. <laughs> the Joker. They're walking around like crazy people. Like they have no brains. Like the Last of Us show. George Romero. Got the last name right. First name wrong. Maybe he's a cousin of Caesar. But that, that's what it looks like. Now you're probably saying to yourself, this is everywhere. It's clearly bad enough at this point. It is definitely bad enough. People are going to change their voting behavior. Folks, uh, listen, man, I'm not here to spin your wheels. I'm not, I'm not sure it is. New poll out. 38% of New York voters say we should not. Oh, no, excuse me. 38%. Let me get this right. I don't want to screw this up because this is important. I should have turned over. Only 38% of New York City residents want a border wall in the most recent poll. Marina Medvin's Twitter. She actually puts the poll on her. 38%. We're not there. It's not bad enough yet. It pains me to say this in these markets we're in. Because I love being there and I love talking to you. But I am with you. I grew up in New York in my, my entire life. In the New York of the 80s. And so you know, in San Francisco and WLS in Chicago... 
where I, I think, Jim, pretty soon we're, we're coming on at night, too. We're gonna be, it's going to be like a two-a-day, right? Like nine to, they're going to rerun. That's pretty cool. Thank you, WLS. We, we love that. But in these cities like New York, we're on, too. D.C., we're on WMAL. I, it pains me to tell you this. I don't speak with forked tongue here. I live this. I lived it in New York where everybody said this all the time. They were like, next year it's definitely going to change. Next year it's definitely going to change. And it didn't. We went from what? A beam to, do you remember, Jim, to Ed Koch to David Dinkins? I mean, it got worse, not better. And then you know what happened? Eventually, it got bad enough. that I don't just say this to spin your wheels like I'm... You know, trying to waste your time on a radio. I love the radio show. I don't like to waste a second of it. I'm not going to be around forever. I'm not going anywhere on the radio. But, you know, life is fragile, man. I Every second of this matters. I don't waste your time. I live through it. And how bad did it get? Folks, do you understand we had 2,000 homicides a year in New York City before it got bad enough? Well, Dan, surely we're close to that now. No, they're not even close. For as bad as it is, folks, they're not even close. I was a rookie cop with the NYPD at the end of it when it got better. And even at the end of it in the precinct I was in, there was a dead body every other day. Because when you're the new guy, they call it sitting on it. You have to sit on the body till the medical examiner comes and declares the person dead. They have to be declared dead. We're not doctors. I mean, oh my gosh, their brains are all over them. It doesn't matter. They have to be declared dead by the medical examiner. It's not, what, it's not what we do. So someone's got to sit on the body. You'll see the police tape around and everything like that. I mean, obviously they'll give you know medical attention to folks, but they got to show up in the hospital, whatever it is. If it's a, uh, a suicide in the house or a crime and it's three, four days later, and you know, not to get into the gory details, but someone still has to sit on the body. That was a new guy. Folks, every other day I'd be sitting on a, you had to, you had to, I'd be sitting on a body. You had to develop tricks. You had to develop tricks because decomposing uh, not good. I mean, I worked in a cemetery. Believe me, I know what that smells like. There's nothing like the smell of death. If you smell it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a reason for that. Natural selection. Human beings who avoided dead bodies and found that smell to be the most noxious likely avoided the diseases in those dead bodies. That's why you find it so noxious. I worked in a cemetery where the mausoleums would crack sometimes. Believe me, that is the worst smell you've ever smelled in your life. You have to sit on that. In little tricks, I'd put VapoRub up my nose. VapoRub, Vicks VapoRub. I'd rather smell Vapor. Probably wasn't even good. Probably burned out my olfactory nerve. <laughs> I don't care. I couldn't do it. You can't do it. This is what we went through in New York. So all the people listening to me on these liberal stations, but conservatives saying, you know, Hey, man, we're with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I was there. But I'm sorry to tell you, it's not bad enough. I mean, how do you explain this poll? Only 38% of New York City residents want a border wall? I thought we were told there was an eruption and a chaos in New York. People are tired of all this stuff. Obviously not. Obviously they're not. I'm sorry, they're not. The data doesn't bear that out. The New York City mayor's race coming up in a couple years, whenever it's going down, I think they have an off-year race too. Eric Adams will probably win by 20 points. It's just not bad enough yet. The Carter years. The Carter years were bad enough. The Malays speech, superinflation, high unemployment. People had to wait online with odd-numbered license plates on specific gas days. When it affects them personally and it's bad enough, people will change. Up until that point, they won't. It's just not bad enough, folks. Here's another one. New York Post. NYPD to cut overtime to pay for the migrant crisis. New York City is in the middle of a crime crisis right now. And liberals are still absolutely incapable of understanding what an opportunity cost is. You see, if there's one distinction... One, I'd say, paramount to all others that separates us from the libs, it's this. Liberals do not understand the world of scarce resources. In liberals, every amount of government spending is worth it. In liberalism, health care should be free. They create rights that create obligations on others. 
I have the right to health care. Really? So the doctor should have to serve you for free? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, what if he just doesn't want to work? Then we'll force him or put him in a gulag. That's the left. The left doesn't understand that the world is full of compromised choices. That's the world we live in, not the world you want to live in. That's the real world. That's what makes us different from them, and it's what makes conservative and conservatism hard to explain to people. No one wants to hear we live in a world of scarce resources. So now the NYPD's budget is going to be cut dramatically, creating another public health uh, crisis, public safety crisis in New York City, to pay for illegal migrants, and still only 30% of New York City residents want a border wall. It's not bad enough. Not bad enough. They don't understand an opportunity cost either. What's an opportunity cost, folks? It's the cost of a foregone opportunity. My wife's a pretty talented uh, web designer. Back in her heyday, she could make a fortune designing high-end websites. What if I, my wife decided to mow lawns for a living? There's nothing wrong with that. There's value in all work. But if she charged 20 bucks an hour to mow lawns, economically, you'd say, well, she's $20 better off per hour. She's actually not. She could have made $200 or more per hour designing websites. She's actually not making $20 an hour. She's actually losing $180. That's what an opportunity cost is, the cost of a foregone opportunity. Liberals don't ever, they never understood the concept of opportunity cost. If you are going to choose immigration, there is a foregone opportunity because you're going to have to finance illegal immigrants. That foregone opportunity is a safe city for you to live in. You can't have it both ways. You live in a world of scarce resources. I'm sorry you don't see it that way. But because you don't see it that way doesn't make it real. And when it gets really real, and I hope it doesn't happen to you, and that criminal comes knocking on your door or steals your car, then you'll understand opportunity costs by trial and error, not from a book. Thanks for listening to this special Sunday podcast we put together exclusively for you. You can hear me every day across the country in over 300 stations. Go to Bongino.com to find out where we're on on a station near you. See you next week. You just heard Dan Bongino.